Hey everyone, this is David Kern here. Just wanted to say a quick word from our friends over at Escondido Tutorial Service. Our culture needs more fine minds who have an understanding of the great ideas of Western civilization. The dying art of civil discourse is one that needs much practice and finesse, and your junior and high school students can hone this art through studying with 25-year veteran, Great Books tutor Fritz Heinrichs. His five-year survey of the great books of the Western world includes works by Homer, Plato, Augustine, Calvin, Shakespeare, Dante, Chaucer, Dostoevsky, Kant, Freud, Marx, and C.S. Lewis. Each week, students meet for a two-hour session discussing the reading and learning to dialogue with one another. They're required to write papers several times a semester as well. The opportunity for two free years of classical Greek is offered to students enrolled in great books two and three, while free Shakespeare accompanies year four. Fifth-year students write two 3,600-word papers and present them online, answering questions from Mr. Heinrichs and the assembled fellow students. Those interested can join a four-day gathering each June full of debate, readers' theater, singing, dancing, and fantastic fellowship. Guided by the joyful wisdom of Mr. Heinrichs and the great books, join a conversation full of truth, justice, love, and beauty. To find more how you can join the great conversation, please visit the Escondido Tutorial Service website today at gbt.org. Again, that is gbt.org. Hello, and welcome back to the Mason Jar Podcast. I'm Karen Kern, the host of this eight-episode series called Education is a Life, Creating Purposeful Culture in Our Homes. This fifth episode is about art and music. It's about how art and music contribute to and enrich the culture of a home and how art and music are formative to the soul of a child and to family. And today I have with me two friends, Emily Hill and Elsie Uticello. Hi, ladies. Hey there, Karen. Hey, Karen. Hello. Hi. Um, Emily. Emily comes from uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. What's your weather like there today? Oh, wow. What's we have been waiting for this blue sky and sunshine for a long time. So it's in the 70s, oh. Oh, but it hasn't wow. been. We did lose a few trees two weeks ago to a massive snowstorm. Oh, so wow. that's terrible. Oh. We're yeah. ready for this did weather. Did you say yeah. snowstorm? Yes, it was. The, <laughs> I, it was crazy. Um, yeah. Well, oh, we no. are just getting past a um, hot, hot, hot weather, heat wave. Too too hot, too soon. And now it's in the 80s and a little bit cloudy. So that's welcome. And um, Emily um, has four kids. Tell us a little bit about your kids and about um, your work. Maybe a little bit about Journey School that you helped start. Oh, sure. So I have four children. The oldest just turned 14, and that's a boy. And then three girls after that, 12, 10, and 8. I always have to think for a second, but they're in the even numbers now, so it's (laughs) a little bit easy. Um, (laughs) And I've been homeschooling since the beginning. And eight, seven, seven or eight years ago, started a hybrid school. So a couple days at school, a couple days home. And it's a classical school. And we've been doing that this whole time. And now we're moving into some high school years and have some fun adventures ahead. So we'll see how we'll see how those years go. Oh, I'm sure they'll be fun. I know your kids. They'll be fun. <laughs> and then we have Elsie. Elsie Odicello is from am I saying your last name correctly? You're, you're really did, close. You're closer you, how, than most how, people get. Okay, so I should have asked you this before we started recording. And as I said it, I went, oh, I hope I said that right. So to clarify okay. once and for all, 
How do I say? <laughs> it's actually Uticello. You just ignore the letter I that's there. Uticello. Most Americans don't like that dip song, that I and the U. They want it to be an L. So we usually get Luticello, but it's Uticello. Uticello. It's Uticello. Uticello. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yes. it's a beautiful name. Um, and you. <laughs> you are from Florida. Tell us about where I you am. live. Um, so we live in Southern Florida. We live on a farm, but we're not too far from the city, which is pretty ideal because we kind of get the best of both worlds where we have our little farm and our, our acreage where our boys can, you know, run around and have fun, but we're also really close to theaters and concerts and art museums. And it's, it's a good mix for us. So what city are you closest to? Uh, to Palm Beach, West Palm Beach. Palm Beach. Okay. Are you close yes. to the beach? Do you get to go? We are. We are. I actually swung a deal with my kids um, last fall because I realized that a lot of our homeschool life was around things revolving around things that I really loved and valued. So I wanted to ask them, you know, what's something you really love and value that you'd like for us to do every week? And they all said, go to the beach. So I made them a deal and we have gone to the beach every single week since then. And it has been so wonderful. Oh, that is so fun. So wow. no snowstorms? <laughs> <laughs> no, no snowstorms. I can't even fathom a snowstorm right now because our heat index right now is like 106, 107. And it's just so miser- miserable. I mean, it's just miserable outside. But that's why we do the bulk of our homeschooling during the summer. Um, because no one wants to be outside. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, thank thank goodness for the beach, right? Can be right. Absolutely. And is too hot. Um, and you have a website called is it Farmhouse Schoolhouse. Yes. Last yes. time I checked, it was still yes. at Farmhouse <laughs> Schoolhouse. <Yeah>. <laughs> And I, I have been on there. It's beautiful. And I urge our listeners, if you don't know Elsie, to go on there and see see the beautiful content that you have. Um, do you do that all yourself? Do you have people help you with your website? Are you that? Nope. <laughs> it's, it's just me. Um, I don't post as uh, as faithfully right now, but it's one of those things where the, you know, the more I homeschool, the more I think, well, my kids only have this one childhood and I will have... Yeah hopefully many years later to reflect and to write. But right now my most important job is being their mom. So while I love being able to share stuff on Farmhouse Schoolhouse, it's not my first priority right. in life. <laughs> right. And that is so, so true. They will be gone soon and you will have yes. you will have many years to develop that and to share what you have learned mm-hmm. with, with all the other moms. And so um yeah. Well, thank you both for being here with me today. And as I said, we want to talk about art and music. And I want to start with the idea that um, art is formative to the soul, art and music and the, those fine arts. And I'm wondering, um, when we say formative to the soul, what are we talking about? What comes to mind? Uh, for me, it's um, learning to pay attention. <laughs> Um, I think I, I had a long um, background in music growing up. It was actually the one area where I had the same instructor for the longest period of time. I had the same um, music teacher for nine years. And, um, you know, really immersing myself in music, it taught me how to pay attention, um, not just within the discipline of music, but within the creative world. And it taught me to pay attention to um, 
I think just the fact that I was created to create, to be creative. And, um, and that really had a very, very deep impact on me. Um, I think even just paying attention in the sense of looking for mentors and looking for teachers and looking for people that would pour into that because it made me very aware that I was not at 18, a master of anything at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm really glad I learned that lesson because it just, yeah, it really taught me to pay attention, look for community, look for beauty, um, really learn how to wonder (laughs) at things. I think, you know, that's something very intuitive for very small children. And then if we get inundated by the world, we kind of lose that sense when we start getting older. And I think music helped me combat that a little and hold on to that sense of wonder. Emily, do you want to add to that? I love that word formative and thinking of the word form that it's built on and how how, how the word form would have two parts. It's what I'm putting into it and how I'm also being shaped by it. So as Elsie was saying, she was so shaped by her experience of participating in music, but at the same time, the music itself was forming her. And I was thinking about how we participate in something and as we do so, it forms us and it requires us to pay attention in order to be formed that by that. And just thinking of the verse in Philippians that says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, think of those things. Like be formed by those, practice those things and the God of peace will be with you. And even that word practice, practice those things, be formed by those things. So it's not just, I know often music lessons or art lessons, whatever can feel like a drudgery at times, especially when it's 7.30 in the morning. I'm like, all right, guys, cello. Um, But just the practice of that and the promise offered is the God of peace will be with you. That's kind of amazing to think about, isn't it? It really is. Mm-hmm. So, so do you do you um, actively use that verse when you are judging what maybe your children could be doing in the area of arts? You know, you do you are there are there maybe it hasn't got to that point yet where 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 they're being um, possibly exposed to things that you don't want them to be exposed to. Um, but do you, w- w- how would you use that verse as a, to make a judgment? Well, in, in the true um, classical sense, I'm going to, I'll say imitate somebody else's work, but it's kind of stealing. Um, mm-hmm. I was just listening to a couple lectures by Josh Gibbs and he was talking about reading great books, but as mm-hmm. great books is kind of a form of art, this can apply to music and um, we'll say fine arts as well if we're that's probably what we're talking about here. And he said, there's a difference between presentational art and representational art. And as you're judging what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, what kind of art should we look at? What kind of music should we listen to or play or whatever? And I have a 14-year-old who's like, I love pop music. I'm like, all right, let's have a conversation about that. Um, what does it, does it represent something that is good, that is true, that is commendable, that is um, worthy of praise? 
Or is it just present something? This is just like a picture in front of your face. This is just, you know, music in your ear. And I, I was really challenged by that as far as music, art, film, books, whatever it is. Does this, does this mean something beyond just like, a, you know, a, a flash in my face? Does it have, mm-hmm. am I being formed internally beyond uh, my immediate senses? Because the senses can, they can just stop right there. It's like, I see it, I hear it, that's it. But how is it, mm-hmm. how is it forming me to be like my maker? Mm. So those are ways in which music or art are formative to the soul. And I, I love both of those ideas, the, the paying attention and um, participating in and being shaped by and thinking about how what we're listening to, what we're looking at are, are representative of the true good and beautiful. And, and I, I love how you relate all that to the form of the soul. And in a bigger picture, how do those things help to form the family culture? Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the best books that I've read about that recently it's actually um, Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family. Have you guys read that book? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. It wasn't really about like, you know, taking out all technology. It was more about how to handle <laughs> the age we live in. I feel like he did it in such a humble way because he was very transparent about what that looks like realistically for his family. Um, but one of my favorite portions of that chapter that just really felt like such an, an echo of our of our family's heart for culture um, was one of the, um, not laws, one of the uh, commitments, they don't have commandments, they have commitments uh, that his family has made. And, and one of them is um, to think about the things in your home, like character training as being part of the furniture in your house. And he says, you know, move things that don't have a lot of value out to the outside and move things towards the middle that um, I believe his words were, um, hang on a second, I wrote it somewhere here, that um, get away from things that ask little of you and develop little in you. And so his, his call was for people to move things towards the center of the house that um, require risk and love and creativity and imagination and that buying the family together through that, through that creativity and that risk. And I found that to be so true in our home. We try to spend a lot of time with stories. Um, I'm Cuban and um, oral storytelling is a really big part of my family so having time for that um, music is so important to both my husband and I. Um, we are not artists in the sense of um, being great at making art, but we are artists in the sense that we make a lot of time for art. And um, I, I think getting away from that, I guess that standard that all the art has to be immediately beautiful for it to be worthy um, took a while for me to get away from and to just say, okay, like this is something we can practice together and it's okay that it doesn't come naturally because it is growing really wonderful things within our family culture, our work ethic, again, just paying attention and, you know, having that um, long-term commitment to developing 
a skill that is beautiful. Um, that's all been so, so good. So I think having that music and art as the center of our family, absolutely, or not as the center, but as one of the things that we try to include as part of the furniture, as part of what we're valuing in our home, has absolutely shaped us. And I think probably because it's also heavily based on relationship. Hmm. Talk about that a little more. How is art and music... How does that help with relationship? Well, um, my youngest has um, some sensory issues and music and nature are probably his two biggest escapes. But we've realized that a lot of our bonding has come through, um, a lot of our relationship building has come through music. And when I first realized that, it took me off guard and I started just thinking about the nature. Um, Emily, you were talking about you know, how do we evaluate, you know, what's worthy and things like that within our music with that scripture verse. And I think I got to a point where I realized that so much of the music in our house was either trying to exploit us as human beings or trying to uplift us or encourage us um, or just communicate something of beauty or truth or pushing us closer to to God, whether or not it was explicitly Christian or not. And really all of music and art is just conveying that relationship, right? It's a science of relations, our understanding to um, our relationship with God, our relationship with man, our relationship with each, each other. And when you live with someone that may not have the capacity to verbally communicate many of those ideas, music and art becomes a beautiful venue to be able to communicate about those things and to have those connections. So I think that's what I mean by relationship. Hmm. Um, how have how have each of you seen your children respond to beauty? Um, while you're thinking about that, I'll, I'll just mention this little story from the other day. I was driving in the car with um, David's boys and Coulter seven and Jeremiah six. And we get in the car to go somewhere and Coulter says, um, Omi, can you, can, can I have your phone? I, I want to find some music to listen to on your phone. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, really? You know, do I let him have my phone? And I said, well, what, what would you like to listen to? And he said, I'd really like to listen to the wedding march by Mendelssohn. He goes, I can spell that for you if you need me to. And I, said, I said, no, I, I think I, great. Here, take my phone, find Mendelssohn. <laughs> and we did, we listened, we listened to uh, Mendelssohn and the way he found it was when it came up, it, it said wedding marches. So of course we listened to the wedding march and they just love that. And then Pachelbel's Canon came on and they hadn't heard that before, but because it was hmm. a wedding, song you know it it was playing and they loved it and they one of them I don't remember which one said when I listen to this I feel like my fingers are playing the piano (laughs) and you know they're just barely starting but they were enraptured by the beauty of it and Mm -hmm. you know I'm thinking they're six and seven they they were they are having an experience of beauty which I know David and Bethany give them regularly in their you know, in their home and in their homeschooling, but it was just a real blessing for me as their grandmother to get to, to, to see that, you know, to experience that with them, that joy that comes from beauty. You know, I'm sure that you both experience that with your kids also. 
Well, and really? so much of that story, I mean, when we hear that, it's very unusual for boys that age to enjoy something like that. And you could just track it back to David and Bethany, right? I mean, this is what has been poured into them from a very young age. And one of the main shifts that came about in our family and my thinking is this realization that my children will love the things that I truly love if I'm truly loving them and not faking it. Mm -hmm. And especially in a classical education, for those of us who were not classically educated, I think we create this list of, oh, these are all the things that I need to make sure I do with my kids in order to make sure they love good, true, beautiful things Mm -hmm. and say, well, I don't necessarily like fine art and I don't necessarily like classical music or great books or you know, math or whatever it is, things that theoretically we say are worthy things and should be um, pursued. And yet, if we ourselves as mothers, as fathers, do not have a deep love for them, our children mm-hmm. won't, they, they will, they actually just won't ever. They're, they're very wise. They know whether or not mm-hmm. we really like mm-hmm. something. So if we say, oh, you should love classical music and, you know, you never put it on or when you do, you're just like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. And I would guess with David and Bethany's boys, like there's a sense there, they're, they're picking up that enthusiasm and that excitement. Um, in fact, I, I remember one of my kids, we were at the Getty Art Museum in California and they saw a picture. I think it was, I think it was the Gleaners by Millet or maybe the Sower, I forget. We had done an artist study on it and they'd done it in school with another teacher who's a dear friend of mine. And as soon as they saw it, they were like, Oh, Mama, take a picture. We have to send this to Mrs. Ferris because we studied. They were so excited to see this piece of art in real life. It's like the authentic piece of art. Mm-hmm. And they had really caught that enthusiasm from this teacher. So whether it is a parent, mm-hmm. whether it's a teacher, there's something just catching about a love for something. And that's, I mean, that's music, that's art, that's good books, that's nature. And I'd say that's how you build a culture. That's how you like put those pieces together to say, this is what we love. And they'll pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, yeah, Emily? I mean, I mean, that to me, I completely agree with you, Emily. And again, it's that whole relationship, 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 relationship. You know, when it's something that is built together and bonded over together, it just means something different. You know, I... I wasn't homeschooled. I went to um, I went to a private school, and I distinctly remember knowing as a child the teachers that really loved me, <laughs> the teachers mm-hmm. that really didn't, and the teachers that didn't. I don't remember a lot from their classes. I remember feeling their displeasure, feeling like I was just always wrong and didn't quite fit in. I was kind of an out of the box kid learning wise and the teachers that really loved me, boy, I remember their love, but I also remember so much of what I learned from their class. I mean, I could sit here now and tell you all the books we read in Mrs. Crowder's class in second grade because Mrs. Crowder loved me. And I remember listening to Flight of the Bumblebee and, you know, running all over her class. And that was one of the first times where I really connected with classical music and loved it. And it's so funny because now Flight of the Bumblebee in our home Whenever that song comes up, my boys don't say, oh, you know, 
this and this movement, this and, you know, this little factoid about classical music, they say, mom, do you remember the day, that horrible day when we all had the stomach flu and you were so upset because we couldn't make it to that concert downtown? And then we walked outside and we realized that the jasmine tree was covered with bumblebees. And so you brought all those blankets outside and we sat out there and we listened to Flight of the Bumblebee and we had tea and we listened to the music and then we listened to the bumblebees and then they all attacked us and we had to run inside. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, you know, that was great. But they have this huge memory that has joined in with that. And I just, that's one example that turns in my mind of, that, you know, that continuum of relationship with Flight of the Bumblebee in our family, you know, where I had a teacher that loved me, that, you know, reached out and through the relationship got us to attach to that. And then now my children and just having that family experience and, you know, nothing fancy, just making that connection between nature and what we're listening to in music and how indelibly etched that is in their minds now. It speaks to the power of a teacher, right? That that he yeah. affected you, but in turn, your children. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's also making uh, art and music something beyond an extracurricular. And I would say that greatly affects the culture of a home and allowing yeah. the beauty of it to become not just the you know, that the hour of music you have to practice in the morning and your 30-minute lesson you have, and maybe twice a year mm-hmm. go to an art museum. And I would say that's a struggle for a lot of us, myself included, homeschool moms, is we feel this burden of getting the other subjects done right. and that we lose that science of connections and those relationships to say mm-hmm. music and art not only as I said, that that formation has two parts. It has a part of receiving and it has a part of participating. So not only the receiving of that, that yes, we're listening to the flight of the bumblebee and we're going to concerts and, but there is the participation in music practice. Like this is not an extracurricular that, all right, if I have time to get my kid in music lessons, great. If we have time to go to a concert this year, we'll see if we can fit it in. But to recognize mm-hmm. music and art are a part of the formal curriculum. This is as important as math or learning how to read. Like we yes. put so much emphasis on learning how to read, but mm-hmm. how learning how to read a piece of art, you know, art study, whatever it is, you know, why is that tree there? Why did they make the face sad instead of happy? That's, that's part of, it's part of learning to read the earth and art around us. So, so that mm-hmm. make, that leads me into um, this question, which, which I was hoping we'd get to, and here we are. Um, how do you <laughs> fit, um, how do you do music and art in your family? So um, each of you tell me, what what instruments your kids play or you know do they have formal art lessons or what do you do in both of those arts art and music um in your home and um how often is it part of morning time um is it daily uh is it you know do you just have classical music playing um during your school day when you're doing math or something like that. So start with Emily. How I know your kids play cello. Tell us a little bit about that. 
And and then I know you do art too because I've enjoyed watching it happen. Well, your- I will start off by saying I am neither an artist nor a musician. I I played some in high school. I probably couldn't do it anymore, but I'm definitely not an artist. Um, and just to add on, just for clarity, does your child have to play an instrument to become a wise, virtuous person? No, there are lots. Of, <laughs> there are lots of very wise and virtuous good. Yeah. souls that do not play an instrument and are not <laughs> artists. So, yes, my children do play instruments where they are they are not virtuosos by any means. Um, a couple of my girls play cello. I've got one in piano, and then my boys in guitar. And we're not looking to be, you know, concert musician level, um, but it does form uh, a couple things. It co- does form a discipline, um, just, just, just like learning multiplication. It, it has that same sort of like memory and discipline that's just good for young brains. Mm-hmm. So that's why we have chosen to do that. I do think it is a, a formative thing. Um, as far as art goes, we've kind of gone back and forth in lessons and my husband does art. And so he's been really helpful with the kids mm-hmm. on that one. But some of that is uh, like that, going back to that science of connections, we have found nature notebooking such an amazing way to work on art, like learning. My mm-hmm. kids love animals. So let's draw animals, whether it's out, outside or, you know, let's draw those bees. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, and then let's look up the anatomy of a bee. And some of it, I love what you said, Elsie, about just learning to pay attention. What do I see? How does that relate to what I can draw and what I can participate in? So that's kind of been our experience for our own family as far as like this, just the skills of it on a, like a school level yeah. almost. And when do you, so when do you do, when do you study an artist? So I know you go to art museums and so on. Do you have that part of your morning time? Do you do... Um, so do my do- crew is at... Um, they've been at Journey School, this hybrid school, for you know seven years now. Mm-hmm. So that's part of the curriculum through that school. So they actually do artist studies at school. And mm-hmm. then I think this is so important. Just We have the artwork hung in our home and, you know, we rotate it out yeah. and talk about it, just having it there for them to see. Yeah. So as, you know, Andrew always says, you become what you behold. What's that? Yeah. That's a, an old mm-hmm. quote and I forget who that's by. Yeah. Um, but just you become what you behold, what you see in your home. So I'm really mm-hmm. thoughtful about that even right now, just like, oh, what kind of artwork should I hang in my home? Um, and, and that's kind of been a fun challenge for me. Great. What about what about you, Elsie? What do you, what do you what do your kids do? So, um, gosh, I feel like there's so many different <laughs> aspects mm-hmm. to this question. Yeah. Um, so, I guess I should say what we were saying before that receiving and participating the receiving portion of the music really connects back to what Emily says, which is taking it up for ourselves and our children kind of joining in along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I listen to a lot of not just classical music, but just good music that I love. And I, we, we do have music playing often in the house. Uh, My husband is a pianist and a drummer. And when he gets home from work, 
that's one of the first things he does either before dinner or after dinner is to sit down and to play the piano or to play the drums. Um, and I was trained as a singer. So I, um, I think right when I became mom, just kind of took a look around and realized that um, even in churches, we've gone from being a society that sings a lot to a society that is being sung to mm-hmm. <laughs> in church sometimes with worship bands that kind of perform for us in some churches. And yeah. I thought, well, I want my kids, I want to make sure that, you know, whatever church body we're a part of, that we are the ones that are singing, that we are singing. And I kind of want that ex- to extend to our daily life. So um, I go around singing a lot, which people may hear that and think that may be like an annoying Mary Poppins kind of thing. It's not, (laughs) it's not like I sing when I'm mad. It's just, I try to make sure that it's just that it's part of our daily liturgy. So we, um, music is our call to the table whenever we are getting ready for morning time. Like I mentioned with my sensory needs child, it's very difficult for him to tear away from things that he is very engrossed in. And so I can come to the door and call his name and call his name and call his name. And he won't make that connection that it's time to come to the table. But if I flip on Andrew Peterson, his head will lift up and he'll come over and he'll start getting his stuff ready for morning time. So anytime we have a transition, I usually transition with music because that is a language that he um, understands. And uh, when we sit down for morning time, we do sing a hymn. And uh, every day, uh, no matter how <laughs> off, whether it sounds good or bad, we sing a hymn every morning. And that's been really great. Um, so what hymn are you currently working on? Or what, what oh, is... Love that will, oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Uh-huh. Oh, that we're singing right now. And um, there is a gal on Instagram named Happy Hymnity, and she is a wonderful resource for hymn studies because she puts that out there for everybody. And there's like a monthly hymn that everyone can join in on, and she's she's really great. So that's been a, a really good resource. So tell us that again, Happy Happy Hymnity. Happy Hymnity. Okay, yep, Happy Hymnity. Wow, yes, she's wonderful. She's great. Um, so that's been she's. It's been really encouraging to know that we can meet up with other homeschoolers that are also learning the same hymn. And so it's this. It's almost like this whole little, <laughs> it, like um, I don't even know how to say it, but just a little subculture of Instagram. All these kids that are learning the same hymns and things like that. So I think it was right around the time that we started singing a lot in the mornings that my eldest. We had been reading um, the magicians nephew and my son said, you know, I just feel it just makes so much sense when Aslan sings the world into into being like that. And it just Mm. makes me think of math and it makes me think of nature and it makes me think of music. And he starts, you know, talking about all these subjects. And but I kind of got stuck on those first three. And I thought, you know what, I would love it if our mornings, because there's such a strong correlation between uh, math and music and nature study. So the vast majority, the opening of our day is with those three things. Math is the first, um, tech, you know, subject that we mm-hmm. do, but we always sing first. And then we spend time in nature, mostly because I have boys and I know that they will focus better on math if I have exhausted them out in nature first. Mm. Um, and so those three things together have worked really, really well for us. And then in terms of participating in music, um, I have a couple of violin players, and the older three um, play the piano. We have a lovely lady that lives just a block from our home, and she comes over and gives them their lessons here, which has been 
huge gift, um, having to go out to the lessons, but having them in the home and, um, they do have to practice every day. And it's so true. We, you know, I can get sometimes romantic about my thoughts on music sometimes, but there is that practical aspect, the discipline of it needing to occur every single day. And there are some children that love that and some children that rebel against that. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I'm always trying to think of ways to keep them engaged with it. And then um, they do like to play with their dad. So that's another thing that we're looking forward to is just their creating music with their mom and their dad as they get older. Wow. What, how old were they when they started uh, formal music? You know, when they started to have lessons that they required practice yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know. I would say right around eight. Eight? Yeah, right around eight. Yeah. What about you, I Emily? They, when did your kids start? Same? Yeah, right around there. Eight o'clock? Yeah. Eight o'clock. Eight years old. Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock in the morning. Eight o'clock works as well. Going back to even um, being formed by it and making a comparison to some of the other subjects in school, um, one of the things I think that's made, uh, it's it often can be a struggle in the morning with music practice, but again, it is often a mindset of the mom or dad, whoever is encouraging them along the way mm-hmm. a morning of if it is somewhere in my brain viewed as extracurricular, it mm-hmm. is often the first thing to go. And yeah. I don't I don't know mm-hmm. how kids pick up on this, but you know, come Wednesday morning, they're probably not gonna say, Hey, can we just skip math today or for the next week? They just know yeah. somehow that we're going to do math. Mm-hmm. And a couple years ago, when I am like, I music practice is just like math. That is just the thing we do. Mm-hmm. Like we don't do one without the other. It 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 made a small shift. There's still definitely those days like what cello practice again. Like I know again, it's only been like five years now. Um, yeah. but just encouraging this is part of the rhythm of our life. And as I often tell my kids, like, if God created you for good works before the world began, that doesn't start as an adult. It's not like, well, mm-hmm. then when I'm educated and I'm an adult, then I will start the good work that God has for me. But that starts when you're born. And so mm-hmm. you know, communicating the good work that you have now. And I mean, it's not called work for nothing, right? It's hard. It's work. Right. Mm. <laughs> so this is a good right. work that you do that whether it's your skills and arpeggios, whatever it is, like this is a, this is a good work that you are actually called to. And, and putting that big picture perspective of it's not just drudgery. Yes, it's hard, but it's actually a kingdom work. And that's kind of cool to think about. Like you are participating in the mending of the world by Mm -hmm. doing music scales. That's Mm -hmm. kind of neat. It is. And how convicting for us as mothers. Yeah. That that, that convicts me as a mother too. Like I sit here and I, you know, I have laundry and I have dishes and you will work on your scales and I will work (laughs) on my laundry. And both of them are creating harmony in the home, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And that really is, it's like when I, when I think of that, like it's, it's a kingdom work that mm-hmm. we're doing here. And especially for those younger grades, maybe first through sixth grade or whatever, when they're, they're just learning um, kind of how to set a rhythm for their life. I mean, yeah. we're, we're building those habits. Um, 
And those are the ages that singing and music. And I loved what you said about singing, Elsie, because I, I feel like most kids naturally love to sing. So I mean, we've been mm-hmm. talking a lot about like music lessons and formal instruments, but yeah. um, my kids all love to sing. And I mean, we just sing all the time. And I personally love yeah. to sing as well. I sing in the choir at church and um, with one of my kids and just encouraging them. Sometimes we just, in fact, we were making up songs. They're absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I would be so embarrassed if any of you guys ever heard this. We were making up songs last night uh, to try to remember, you know, what are the the seven virtues and vices? And we were just... They will never be recorded anywhere. Um, but you could sell that. Yeah. Oh no, it was horrible. But, but it made my kids laugh. And laughing together is, I mean, that's a gift in and of itself. So sometimes we do silly mm-hmm. things. So, you know, we put our memory work to music and do it in a Southern accent, do it in a British accent, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Just yeah. Um, such joy in singing. And like I said, especially before that like self-conscious teenage years come in when they mm-hmm. are a little, yeah. they're a little bit more self-conscious if they're not a, you know, quote unquote, good singer. But little kids, they just have the best time. They do. And I love the reminder that there is so much um, opportunity for humor and laughter in music and art. I think sometimes we take ourselves so seriously or we just want everything to be this big formal thing in order for it to count. And really just having that enjoyment and that laughter and that family bonding together is, is just so important. Our so my husband, Jeff, wrote a song <laughs> when I was a preschool teacher. I brought home the class hamsters. And of course, they had babies while they were in the house and the babies <laughs> escaped. And um, <laughs> they were called, they were named Cookie and Banana. And my husband, out of love for me, penned this beautiful, moving love song. Um, and I believe the lyrics went, um, Cookie and banana ruining my life. Cookie and banana. I really love my wife. And our kids, they weren't even born yet, but our kids know that song and they sing it sometimes and it makes us all laugh. And man, made up family songs. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the little thread that weaves all of the good stuff into the family culture because we remember that bonded experience, you know, and it gives us that craving for those good beautiful things that we have in our, in our home lives. And, and that is family culture right there, right? Because it, that doesn't belong to anybody else's family, you know, right. so that when your kids leave home and they come back and they're sitting around the table, some Thanksgiving meal or something, and somebody makes a reference to something from years ago, that will yeah. connect everybody right back together again. And that joy, that joy will be evident all over again just by the memories yep. of that. and you, Well, it offers such a sense of belonging. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of mm-hmm. the, the, the cultural things we're trying to create in our home, right? We do have a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And even in this conversation, a lot of what we are seeing essentially is, well, how do we use art? How do we use music to create that sense of home? and place Mm -hmm. and who we are as people together collectively in our home. And I'll throw this idea out. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to... um, It's on the calendar. Um, This fall or in in August, we're going to have a fine arts night. And we invited about four or five other families. We put a date on the calendar. 
because over the summer, it's often difficult to keep kids motivated for music mm-hmm. and drawing mm-hmm. um, and even poetry. I would say poetry is the art of language. Yeah. And Karen knows my yeah. love of poetry. Yeah. So I have to throw this in here. I'm like, hey, poetry, <laughs> it's just, just you know, that's right. worthy. Um, so we have the art of language and then we have the fine arts and music. And so we're just going to have a night and whatever these homeschool families, whatever the kids have worked on over the summer, we're going to do a presentation. So they're going to bring their artwork and we're going to hang it on some boards. And so hopefully, and my kids already, it's like, okay, what are you going to work on? You know, so-and-so is going to work on this mm-hmm. piano piece. And so give them, hopefully, I haven't done it. Like it's, this is our entry into it. Um, hopefully it'll give them some motivation to kind of stick with a music piece. Um, I've got a girl who likes to draw. So she's working on a picture of a tiger. Um, we're memorizing some Shakespeare. And for my own self, it's hard for me to stick with some of those things over the summer. So I don't know. Hopefully this is going to give us some inspiration to even share that with some other families. And they can do the same and we'll all come together. And And it also communicates to the, the wider community of our children and our friends' children of this is important to us. Like we mm-hmm. meet together communally for this. This is a big deal. And hopefully it will mm-hmm. communicate that. So I'll That's- let you know how it goes. <laughs> That's kind of in a in a uh, very much more informal way, but that's kind of how our grandson Jeremiah, particularly, came to love music so much. Is that um, David and Bethany have some very good friends who are very musical, and so they play mm. guitar and they play banjo and some other instruments. And so, very very informally, they would come over and they'd have a a fire pit in the backyard and um, the adults would strum their guitars and they would, you know, listen and sing and um, all the kids would be running around, around playing except for Jeremiah who would be just even hmm. at two and three Aww. sitting there staring at these men playing the instruments and tapping his little foot. And um, now <laughs> he, you know, he plays violin and he wants to play the banjo and ukulele and he, he just aspires to that because he saw it, he saw it and he's imitating it and he saw it enjoyed. He saw it bring, you know, great joy to all the mm-hmm. people sitting around a campfire, you know, it was just, and that was his first exposure. And, and so, that wasn't very the formal curriculum. It's funny you right. should share that because I have a memory growing up, like, I don't know, dozens of times my mom and dad loved to sing and my dad could play the piano um, and they loved like, you know, like gospel songs and so I, and hymns. So we would each get our hymn books and we'd like sim, sing through the hymn book. And I have like really vivid memories of that. That was never part of, you know, like a school curriculum or like, oh, these are the hymns we've chosen. And you were homeschooled. I was, but yeah. that wasn't formal. It was just, right. my parents loved to sing. Mm-hmm. I remember my husband, which has memories of his own childhood. His dad was a piano player and, you know, Moonlight Sonata was one of the pieces. It's just like, it's so beloved to my husband now because he has memories of coming in um, in the evening and his dad would play that or as he's falling asleep, you know, that's Mm -hmm. going in the background. That has nothing to do with, all right, I have to make sure my kids hear this music. It was just part of what his family loved. And probably the same with you, Elsie, because you said your husband plays drums and piano. So from the time before your children were born, they were hearing that. And it's just part of what y'all do. 
Yeah, they were hearing that. I mean, even with art, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not, would not call myself an artist, but I do enjoy art. My, my dad is actually, and he would kill me for saying it, but he is an artist. He, he stopped um, practicing art because um, he needed to go into a different line of work to support our family. But, um, you know, he was an artist and he did stained glass windows and he drew and he did all kinds of different um, art mediums. And so that's, I, I remember when he went away, when Hurricane Hugo hit, um, my dad is an insurance adjuster and he went up there, he was gone for three months and he used to write us letters. And in the letters, he had drawings in them of the oh. things that he was seeing and the things he was experiencing. And I just remember as a little girl seeing that, you know, that, that art was part of the love letter my dad was writing to me. So I've always been very, um, attracted to art and what it's trying to say, or I guess I should say I've always been very sensitive to art. So even when my kids were little, I had, um, I love older, wiser moms. It's my favorite thing to do when I get somewhere is to just look around for the older, wiser moms. Um, but when we moved back home, one of the first things I did was reach out to an older, wiser mom. And she gave me such great advice. She told me to get down on my hands and knees and walk through my house at the level my children were at and see how I experienced beauty at that height. Wow. What kind of things was I beholding and seeing from that height? And so for many years, a lot of the um, artwork in our house was hung very, very low. So it looked a little strange when people would walk in, they'd be like, why do you have that little little Homer print there so low on the ground? But it's because that's the level my children were at. And I really wanted them to be able to appreciate that beauty and have it be part of their um, story from before they could even communicate or think about what it was about. I just wanted them to appreciate it for what it was and to just have it as part of their, of their atmosphere. That's a, that's a great practical way of, of introducing our children to great art, right? Put it, hang it there, yeah. hang it at their eye level. Um, I loved your story about your dad because that, that is my dad was an artist and he died in 1999. Mm. And I just went up to Toronto where my mother lives and I brought back a watercolor that he did. And when he did it in 1983, he was working on that. Um, he told me it would be for me. And so on the back, mm. it says for Karen and Andrew. And um, I just got to hang that on my wall. And, and it, it was just beautiful. And he he encouraged our, our kids to do art. And our daughter, Katie, just graduated with a, a degree in art and literature from Oxford, a master's. And she's just a wonderful artist. And um, he, he encouraged her in such a simple way. When she was about seven, she drew some pictures of flowers and he loved them so much that he took them to a printer and had them made in note cards. And so oh, she gave that. that to her was her, her, her drawing on note cards. And that inspired her. I believe that that just yeah. really inspired her in, to pursue art, um, drawing yeah. and painting and, and what so, you know, it's just such a, you know, parents and grandparents have such influence um, mm-hmm. to, to just pick up on those little things and to, to encourage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can't value highly enough that influence that we have. It's really beautiful. Well, and it, it is often the small words of encouragement and affirmation and, you know, I will say often listening to you know, even podcasts like this, 
and listening to everybody else's stories about all the things that they've done and this, that, and the other. And here's the music my kids are in. Here's this. And realizing, yes, there are always ways that we can do more. Um, and, and we should. We should look for growing beauty in our home. And if you've never done artist study before, well, yeah, pick it mm-hmm. up. Do it. If you've mm-hmm. never listened to classical music, just pick some of the more popular ones that, or, you know, pick 10 Mm -hmm. that like, Hey, here's some classical music. Maybe every kid should know. Uh, Maybe it's small steps. So there's always things that we can walk towards, but in a lot of the anecdotes we're sharing, it's things that existed that we didn't try to create. And I would say every family has some of those and like revel Mm -hmm. in that to say, yeah. maybe it is a grandparent and maybe it's not like, oh, I need to make sure I get my kid in cello now. Oh, I need <laughs> to make sure I have all of these things now. I mean, they're missing, right. you know, us moms, like we worry about, we're so fearful about, did we get it all done? And recognizing that's not the point of art and music. The point isn't ever, let's check this box that we get the practice in, let's get it done. It is the the formation of our souls. And I was, as I was thinking about this topic over the last couple of weeks, I, I maybe it was on Instagram or something. Um, the picture came up of the cellist of Sarajevo. I don't know if you've seen that um, yeah. picture or mm-hmm. and there's a novel written on it. Um, I read maybe a, a few years ago or so, but it's, it's a story during the Bosnian conflict that there was a bombing um, in Bosnia, um, in Sarajevo there. And a, a, a cellist of the area went every day, I think it was for 21 or 22 days, and played, I don't know, do you guys remember what piece he played? Um, I see the picture vividly in my mind. can't remember the song. And you, you have to just go Google this picture of the cellist of Sarajevo. It's just... Mm-hmm. And as I think about this, you know, carefully curated curriculum that we often try to give to our children, there's also recognition of like the world is a, it's a broken, bombed out place. And as you see, if, when you look at this image, which is a piece of art of this cellist who's sitting there in the midst of rubble and chaos and destruction and hate and and every day he came for in honor of the lives of the victims who were killed in that bombing and mm-hmm. played this piece of music, I think, oh, that's what we're doing with art and music. Like we're mm-hmm. standing in a bombed out place and saying, this is what is good. This is what is true. This is what is beautiful. And to say, how does it form our family? There's actually a little bit of mystery to that. I don't know. Like, what does that do to a person as you see that work of art, whatever it is? It's something transcendent. It's something mysterious and beyond me. But that's what I want to give my children and myself. It's that yearning, right? That yearning yeah. for beauty. Yeah. And, you know, that C.S. Lewis talks about it. It's, it's, there's something within our souls that respond. And so what we're doing is we're giving our children that. Yeah, all the best of family culture, right? Brings that yearning, even even our cooking, even our food and our games and our, yeah, everything is all about sharpening the appetite of that yearning, (laughs) making us really hungry for it. 
Right. And, and as you said at the beginning, learning to pay attention, mm-hmm. learning to listen for those things. Yeah. For and those for things. my own self, instead of fearing that I'm not giving my children the best and instead of worrying about, you know, what if they don't, you know, become proficient at an instrument or, you know, what if they don't recognize the Mona Lisa when they see it? Um, I have seen it has given me so much opportunity for myself to, for humility and repentance to say, oh, I don't, I don't love the things I should love all the time either. Every day I wake up, I'm like, wait, why don't, why don't I love what is good? Um, to be really honest, I can only last, listen to classical music for so long before I'm like, please, someone turn that off because I just need some quiet. Yeah. I'm like, it's, there's yeah. just always someone talking in my house. <laughs> um, it's all those girls. <laughs> so even as I come before God, like, Lord, give me a heart that loves what is good. And then I have a lot of compassion for my children when they don't love good things. Cause I'm like, oh, neither do I most of the time. Yeah. We're in it together. I think <laughs> those are really, that those are really good pieces of advice. Even, I mean, even practical advice, you know, to start, just start there to recognize, well, these are the things that we're not doing that we need to be doing and asking the Lord to show us what to do and how to do it and just take small in small bits. And I think mm-hmm. that, that both of you have, have really helped with that today. So if, if you could um, just give a little bit, I mean, you've given a lot of advice, but is there anything that you can, bit of advice that you can give to somebody who's just starting this, who, who maybe their oldest is five and they don't really know where to start. They don't have a lot of money um, for resources, for instruments, but where, you know, where can they start? I would say just make friends with a few people, with a few musicians and a few artists. Don't worry about inundating your children with everything mm-hmm. right at the beginning. I it I can't tell you how heart melting it was when my, you know, when my kids were five and six and we were making their birthday party list and they were asking me to invite poets and musicians <laughs> and artists that had been dead for 200 years because in their minds, these are friends like, hey, why do we have that Beethoven guy over? We listen to his stuff all the time. I'd really love to meet him, you know? And they hadn't really done this like in-depth artist study on him. He was just in the background. He was just part of their lives. And, you know, when we when we go to appreciate art together, when we're looking at something, just being okay with taking our time in one painting for a while and becoming familiar with it. I've really always appreciated the... Um, simply Charlotte Mason, uh, Sonia Schaefer, um, her approach to art study has always been tremendously helpful to us in, um, in helping to look at things and then realizing that nature, just opening up our, 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 our door. I know this is just for music and art, but I just feel like there's such a strong connection with nature um, that, you know, bringing, bringing our children out into nature or bringing more nature into our homes is going to, I think, help tune our hearts so much more towards music and art because there is so much there that is interconnected. And like you said, Emily, in very mysterious ways, but I think just going gently with the Mm -hmm. objective of just making a few friends is so huge. It's so huge. And it may not feel like very much at the beginning, um, but just 
getting them to have an affection for it in the beginning is going to carry you so far when they're a lot older. <laughs> Thanks, Elsie. That that's really great. Um, what about you, Emily? Any last last bits of advice? I would second what Elsie said on nature. And when you think about it, nature is God's art. And so you're learning from the master in many ways by going out into nature. So I would make a firm connection with nature notebooking. That's become mm-hmm. a, a strong part of our, just our rhythm of our life that you nature at least a couple times a week. Uh, maybe it's from things that you see outside or we have a lot of like nature books, whether it's encyclopedias or I don't know, there's a lot. You just go on Amazon and you're going to find a lot of really beautiful books. And so a lot of times my kids just crack those open with their nature notebook and they sit there and copy something, write a little bit of information down. I view that as an art lesson. Um, But some of it is, you know, if you start with young kids, what, I mean, what a great opportunity. And when you have, you know, toddlers and um, just little ones, it's an opportunity for curating. Um, I think these are the three C's in my mind. You curate art and music and you contemplate it and you create it. It's like my alliteration there. Um, so just curating an atmosphere. If education is an atmosphere, as Charlotte Mason says, yes. you're putting it around you. And I love the Simply Charlotte Mason art studies too. I did just discover um, Kathy White's on cottagepress.net. She mm-hmm. has... Um, they're all free. They're just PDFs. Mm-hmm. She has some great collections. I'm sitting here staring at ours right now. We have all of Audubon's printed up. We're going to do mm-hmm. Audubon over the summer. Um, and just putting it on your blackboard or in your kitchen or just so, like curate a collection of art and music. So it's just there. I think that's an easy thing to start with. Print some copies yeah. off from your home printer, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of that verse, when it says whatever is true, and and it ends up with think about these things. So mm-hmm. as Elsie said, just take time with it. Like we're not the older my kids get, and I don't know, Elsie, how old is your oldest now? Eleven. Eleven. Okay, Which my is oldest. Why is... I never dispense parenting advice. <laughs> okay, exactly. <laughs> well, I was actually going to say my oldest is fourteen, and I'm realizing. Oh wow, I'm almost I'm almost to the end of his years here. I have high school left and that's it. And I find myself becoming less in a rush with things with him. I'm like, oh, it's only a few more years. So I don't I don't need to rush through everything. I don't need to get everything done. I need to slow down actually. And that's kind of filtered into some other things. Let's just Let's just go outside. We have a little slogan, outside every day. We go outside every day. Mm, that's good. And so just curate it and contemplate it, create it. That's beautiful. I think that's a really great place to end. And um, lots and lots here to think about. And I just want to thank both of you for um, chatting with me, for all of your wisdom and your ideas, and for um, giving up this, I don't know how long, maybe... How long have we been doing this? An hour almost? I don't know. <laughs> but thank you so much. And actually, next um, my next podcast, I hope to talk about beauty and nature. And um, it'll be a couple of weeks because Friday, our daughter Larissa is having a baby, a C-section. And yeah. And so I'll be busy that whole week. And then the following week, um, I'll be at our Cersei Summer Institute 
um, hosting that with David. We we have about 16 people coming to the mountains in North Carolina. We do this every year and um, they're all going to be talking about much ado about nothing. And David and I cook breakfast, we cook one of the dinners and we just make sure that everybody has a tasty time. Well, how so, fun. It'll be a couple weeks before I get back on here. But, All right. Well, enjoy your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you yeah. to both of thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Emily. It so much. Mm-hmm.